I think many of us uh, pass by the fact of Satan really without uh, giving it very much thought. We don't stop to realize that Satan is a person and that he's really involved in our lives. He's really involved in our church. He's really involved in the world and his involvement is personal and aggressive. We don't stop to realize that just as the Spirit of God desires uh, to enable you as a Christian to live for Jesus, so Satan is endeavoring to destroy your testimony as a believer, as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus. He wants to sidetrack you. He wants to derail you from serving Christ. So in this series, we're going to talk about a lot of things. I want us to have a better understanding of his strategies and how he thinks, how he works, because understanding as much as possible about your enemy's strategy is essential to victory. We have a lot of people in our congregation here at the bridge who either have been in the military or you are currently in the military, and you fully understand how important it is that you know as much about your opponent's uh, mindset, your opponent's plans as you can, because that will give you a huge advantage in the battle. So one good thing for us in that area is that Satan is pretty obvious. He's pretty obvious. He's pretty easy to predict. The scriptures provide for us a very clear picture of his tactics, and we don't have to be in the dark about him. Let's talk about where we are introduced to Satan in the Bible. He, we are introduced to him in the book of Job. Now you might say, no, 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 I think we're introduced to him in the book of Genesis. Let's start in Job because Job is actually the oldest book in the Bible chronologically. It's not at the beginning of the Bible, but it is the oldest book in the Bible chronologically speaking. The overall message of the book of Job is a conflict. It's about a conflict between a righteous man named Job and Satan. So in the very beginning of man's history, God starts a conflict with the devil. Notice what I just said. Who starts it? God starts it. A lot of people think Satan started the conflict, but God started it. This conflict uh, is fought today and will be fought until Christ returns and finally cast Satan into the pit for eternity. The history of mankind is the history of a conflict. The history of a conflict between God and Satan. And the battleground between God and Satan is the lives of men. It is the lives of mankind. In this battle in the book of Job, I am happy to report to you this morning that Job stayed true. And Job did not give in to the tactics. He battled. He struggled. There were times of doubt. There were low, low times in his life. He suffered a lot of loss and a lot of grief. He suffered a lot of bad uh, advice and uh, discouraging words from so-called friends. You ought to read the book of Job. Very, very powerful book. 
You might have tried to read it in the King James Version and it was a little bit difficult. I would encourage you to get the King James Version there and then put beside it a Bible like The Message and then just read uh, both of them together. It is a great, great book to become familiar with. But we know Job overcame and it is kind of summarized His victory over Satan, his victory over the tricks and the temptations and the workings of Satan in his life is kind of summarized in the book of Job chapter 13 and verse 15 when he said this, though he slay me. And when Job said that, he wasn't talking about Satan, though Satan slay me. Notice the H there, I believe is capital, so he was talking about God Though God slay me. And what he was saying was, though it feels like. Anybody ever felt like God was slaying you? Though he slay me. Though it feels like God has slayed me. Slayed, slain, slayest. Slayed me. Um, Though it feels that way, I will trust him. I will trust him. He's saying, even though God has allowed the enemy access to me. Listen to this. Even though God has allowed the enemy access to me, I will continue to trust God. And his faith was never shaken. Let's go to the book of Job. Let's go to chapter 1. And let's read through a few verses there. Verses 1 through, I'm sorry, verses 6 through 12. I'll make a little commentary as we read through. These verses are going to come up on the screen. They're not in your notes, but they're going to come up on the screen. And I'm reading today out of the New American Standard Bible, Job 1.6. Listen to this. Now there was a day, the Word of God tells us, when the sons of God, and that means angels, when the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. It's kind of, um, kind of interesting here that even though Satan had been expelled from heaven, and we'll talk about his origin a little bit later, he was actually one of God's angels at one time, but because of a sin, he fell from heaven, and he is a fallen angel here at this point in the history of God and man. But it looks like even though he has fallen, he still has access. Even though he's been cast from heaven, God is still allowing him to have access. Verse 7, the Lord said to Satan, and this is a very revealing verse right here because it tells us where Satan operates, where Satan operates. He says to Satan, from where do you come? This is God's question. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, from roaming about, here it comes, on the earth and walking around on it. So right there is a, is a revelation from Scripture of the sphere or the area where Satan is allowed to function. Let's go to verse 8. The Lord said to Satan, here it is, have you considered my servant Job? So it is God who caused Satan's attention to Job. He says, if you considered him. He says, for there's no one like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, fearing or respecting, honoring me, honoring God, and turning away from evil. Well, then Satan comes back with, does Job fear God for nothing? 
And of course, that question means, hey, man, you got him covered. I mean, he takes, you take so good care of him, I can't get to him. I can't touch him. How many of y'all know that's good news right there? Because God covers us. He covers us. And he says, he says you've, you've got him covered. Look at verse 10. This is Satan still talking here. He says, let me ask you something, God. Have you not made a hedge? And that's a good study right there. Scott and Sherry uh, Jennings, our marriage and family life pastors here at the bridge, did a study on that word. The Bible talks about a hedge. Have you all heard Tim Hawkins talk about a hedge? <laughs> How many of you all know who Tim Hawkins is? Tim Hawkins says this about the Bible saying a hedge that Satan can't get through a hedge. He goes, who knew landscaping would keep the devil away? So that's not in my notes, but of course I thought about that. He says, uh, have you not made a hedge about him and his house and all that he has on every side? In other words, God, you've built a wall. You're, you've built a wall of protection. You've blessed the work of his hands. I mean, everything this Job dude does, it turns into gold. You've blessed his possessions and increased his land. So Satan's saying there, no wonder Job likes you so well, God. No wonder he's so faithful to you. No wonder uh, um, he, he stands by you and, and believes in you. Look at all the things you've given him. Look what Satan says in verse 11. He says, but I'll tell you this, God. You put forth your hand now and touch all that he has. And what he's really saying there, the... the um, King James interpretation there kind of makes that look like he's saying bless what he has, but what he's actually saying is step back from it, take your hands off it, and let me touch what he has. Let me get involved in his life, Satan says in verse 11, and he, Job, will surely curse you, God, to your face. Just let me get in there and mess up his circumstances. Let me get in there and just touch him. And you're going to find out that your little Job is not nearly as faithful as you thought he was. And so the Bible says in verse 12, listen to this. Then the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that Job has, all that he has, is in your power. Only do not put forth your hand on him. And what that means is you can't kill him. <laughs> this is what God said to Satan. You can do anything you want to, just you can't kill him. Boy, when you read the book of Job, Satan did do everything he could to him. And uh, we won't get into that very much, but he took away his family. Job was one of the richest men who ever lived in the Bible, one of the wealthiest men in the Bible. And he lost everything. He lost it all. Of course, we know in the end, God honored his faithfulness. But Job went through unspeakable, unspeakable abandonment and unspeakable suffering physically and emotionally. And then he had friends come to him and to comfort him. And this is how they comfort him. You must have done something wrong. Surely, I mean, you have blown it somewhere. God is tick at you. I mean, that's who you want to come in your room. I mean, when you're, you know, when you're sick and in the hospital, you want that friend to come in who says, my daddy died of that right there. I don't know what you got, but my, my daddy died. God bless you. I'll see you tomorrow, you know. Anybody had that friend come by for a visit? 
So Satan departed, the Bible says at the end of verse 12, he departed from the presence of the Lord. And with this event, the book of Job begins. And so begins the conflict between God and Satan throughout the Bible and to this very day today. This conflict has never stopped. But 2,000 years ago, pretty close to 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ, Jesus the Christ, Jesus Messiah, God in the flesh, came and died on the cross and rose from the dead. Because of that, Satan one day will be ultimately for eternity destroyed and cast into the pit, never to be released again. Can we go ahead and talk about the good news right now? I think we need to know that right up front. So with that said, let's just establish now that Satan is the ultimate enemy. He's the ultimate enemy. Let me say this to you. The Bible, the Bible never underestimates the power of Satan. The Bible never underestimates his power and never mistakes his intentions. Now in John 10.10, 10, we find the verse that expresses the vision of our church, the vision statement of our church, giving life by giving Christ. It is that verse that says um, he has come to give life and that more abundantly. But it also talks about Satan in the beginning of that verse. And it says in John 10, 10, the devil is a thief who comes, but to everybody say it with me, kill, steal, and destroy. Listen to me. Listen. That's his occupation. That's all he does. Ever. He will try to sit down with you at the negotiation table and get you to negotiate with him do you hear me? You cannot negotiate with him. He is always looking to kill, steal, and destroy. It's what he's always doing. Anybody who plays into his hands is playing into a situation where Satan is going to do nothing but work in your life to kill, steal, and destroy. He does it to everything he touches. He didn't stop even with Christ. You remember when Christ was a baby. He moved on King Herod and tried to have Jesus killed as a baby. You remember that? And then later on, you remember how he tried to tempt Jesus right after the baptism. And we'll talk about this, that uh, incident in this series because Jesus gives us in how he responded to Satan during the temptation a way we can respond. Jesus lays out an example for us on how to respond when we're being tempted. So in this series, we're going to talk about how to overcome temptation, how not to give in to Satan. Jesus shows us. He's always our example, isn't he? He's always the best example. And so Satan is trying to destroy him in the temptation. And then when Jesus is hanging on the cross... What does the thief who doesn't believe, what does he say to Jesus? He says, if, he questions his deity, if you're really the son of God, why don't you what? Come down. Why don't you come down off this cross if you're who you say you are? You know, we go back to the temptation. It's kind of funny. Satan figured that Jesus wanted what he wanted. See, 
Satan can't understand spiritual things. He thought Jesus craved what he craved, power and lands and riches. So he offered Jesus, and it's in Luke 4, and it's also in Matthew and recorded in the other Gospels. He, also, he offers Jesus all the kingdoms of the world, and they were his to give. They were Satan's to give. And we'll talk about that in just a minute, why they were Satan's to give. And he thought Jesus wanted those same things. And so he said to Jesus, if you'll bow down and worship me, I'll give them to you and you won't have to die. He tried to distract Christ from the very outset. Let me just say a few things about Satan. Listen to me. He is hostile to God. If you love God, you cannot love anything connected with Satan. He is hostile to God. He is hostile to Christ. He was hostile to Christ throughout his time on the earth. Always has been, always will be. He is a malignant reality. He always is hostile to the children of God. He is always promoting filth and vice and sin. Satan is a living, active, violent, anti-God, personal being. Now, in light of that, let me just say something. As pastors and staff and church leaders here, we often have to take stands on things. We have to take stands, we have to take positions on things that the world says we are crazy for taking those positions. And what we've discovered is that a lot of people agree with us on the positions we take as leaders until we take a position they don't hold. And then when we take that position and they don't agree with that position, a lot of times they will get upset with us and we've even had people leave the church because we took positions and took stands in areas simply because of what the Bible said about it. We don't get... We don't get our system of belief here at the bridge from the culture around us. We get it from the Word of God. And sometimes, many times, most of the time, the, it is a direct clash with that culture. And you're saturated all during the week with that culture and that belief. And then you come in here and we preach from the Bible. And if you haven't been in the Bible yourself, and if you aren't worshiping other than when we worship here, and if you're not spending time with God, then when you walk in here and we begin to preach, it sounds so counter. It sounds so um, hate-filled. Because the only time you're hearing the Word of God is when you're here. You're not feeding yourself. That's why we always talk about books you need to be reading. And we always talk about worship. We always talk about having your devotional time. So that when you come in here, you will know, I was in the Word this week. And pastor's right on with that. But everybody doesn't do that. This is all some people get from God. And so when you come in, there's that clash. Can I just say something to you? When we take positions as your leaders in this church, when we take positions that aren't popular in the world, and if I might be franks, quite often aren't popular in this house, it's not because we want to show you we're the boss. It's not because we want to sit up on some throne of leadership and look down and go, you can't do that, you can't do that. 
Here's why we take those positions. Because we know if Satan can get his hands in your life, he's going to destroy you. We know that if he can touch your life, We know that if we preach some deluded message, some watered-down message, so you'll like us, it makes you vulnerable to the enemy. We love you too much not to preach it straight up every Sunday. We love you too much not to take positions that sometimes you're going to hear them and it's going to rub you the wrong way. And here's what I ask you to do. Don't get mad. Go to the Bible and see if it's true. Amen. Amen. And if it's true, stand with us. You say, but what if I'm doing it? Then come under conviction and repent and turn toward God and get right with God. Guess who that goes for? Me too. Not very often, but from time to time, I'll find something in the Bible. I'm not doing that well. Occasionally. The Bible tells us that Satan is the prince of this world. He is the God and ruler of this present world. One writer said, the whole world lies in the hands of the evil one like a sleeping baby. Just as God is a personal God and Jesus Christ is our personal Savior and the Holy Spirit is a personal comforter to us, so Satan is a personal reality. And as surely as God is for you, Satan is against you. Do you know there are only four chapters in the Bible where Satan doesn't exist? The first two and the last two. And everything in between is chaos. And in those two chapters at the beginning and those two at the end, it's paradise. Because in the beginning, in chapters 1 and 2 of Genesis, he hasn't arrived yet. In the last two chapters of Revelation, he has been cast into the pit forever and is no more. And all four of those chapters are paradise. But we're in the middle. We're in the middle. We're in between. Between the first two chapters and the last two chapters of the Bible is a constant, never-ending struggle. A conflict between God and Satan, and man is the battleground. Do you hear me? You're the battleground. God and Satan are warring for your eternity. Satan is recognized and referred to as an actual person and the embodiment of evil. Satan is just one of numerous names given to him. I was not aware that Luce and Dev were two of them this morning when I saw the video. (laughs) The word Satan means adversary, and that's exactly what he is. Let's look at three thoughts in this sermon series. I'll cover this one today. How the Scriptures expose him. We're going to look today very quickly at how the Scriptures expose him. Next week, we'll look at how he interacts with the church, and then we'll look at how He relates to the world. So let's look at how the scriptures expose him. The scriptures are clear in that they indicate he is a person. Satan is a person. What do I mean by that? I don't mean he's a person in a human form. Here's what I mean. He's not a fog. He's not some, you know, a lot of people say, well, I don't believe in a literal devil, but I think when the Bible talks about that, it means the presence of evil. He's more than the presence of evil. Do you hear me? 
He's a person. And you've heard me say this many, many, many times. Let me just say it again. He's a decided fact. He does exist. He's a destructive force. He has come only to steal, kill, and destroy. And finally, he's a defeated foe because of the empty tomb. And the people said, Amen. He is a spirit, just as God is a spirit. Again, he is not in the form of a human being. He is a spiritual reality, just as real as God is, just as real as Christ is, just as real as the Holy Spirit is. And as I said, there are many indications in the Bible that he is a person. Let me go through some of them. He personally tempted Eve in Genesis 3. He opposed God's work in Zechariah 3. He personally tempted Christ and perverted the word of God in Matthew 4 and Luke 4. He wars against the gospel in Matthew 13 and 2 Corinthians 4 and many other places throughout the Bible. He personally obstructed God's servants in 1 Thessalonians 2. He personally traps the wicked in 1 Thessalonians 3 and 1 Timothy 3, I'm sorry, and 2 Timothy 3. These are in your notes, so don't try to write it down. He destroys nations in 1 Kings 22 and also in Revelation 16 and Revelation 20. Paul says he is an angel of light that will come to you personally That's what he told the Corinthian church. He personally contended with Michael the archangel in Jude verse 6. He personally accomplished the entrance of sin into the world on a personal basis in Genesis 3. He personally appeared before God in Job 1 as we just read. He personally walks around as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour in 1 Peter 5. In Revelation 12, he appears personally in heaven to accuse the believers. And in Hebrews 2, he is the personal power of death. And it is all summarized in 1 John 5 and 9, 519, when it says, the whole world lies in the arms of that wicked one. That's why when you walk out of here, and sometimes we even sense it in here, but when you walk out of here, you're walking in a different environment you're walking, in a, you're walking in an environment that is anti-God. Listen, it should not surprise you that as we approach the return of our Lord back to this earth, and we do believe that, don't we, church? It should not surprise you that Christians are more and more and more hated. It should not surprise you that now instead of uh, the lack of belief in God being some weird thing, now a belief in God is the weird thing. What used to be normal and common sense has been flipped on its head and now what is freakish and perverted is now normal. Am I preaching right? There was a time when everybody, sinner or saint, knew. That ain't right right there. But now we're like, I don't know anymore. Even in the church. I don't know, I don't know, pastor. Sounds harsh to me to say that. Help us, Lord. Help us stay holy before you. So what does the scripture tell us about this person called Satan? It tells us three things, three things. 
Number one, that he's not self-existent. See, listen, only God's self-existent. That means Satan was created. He didn't create himself. He's not self-existent, only God. There's only one who's self-existent. Who's that? God, Jehovah God. Satan was created good, then he became bad. He fell from his natural form, and that was good. He fell from it. As a matter of fact, Jesus says himself when he was on the earth in Luke 18, I'm sorry, Luke 10, 18, he said, I was there. I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Jesus didn't show up in Bethlehem. Y'all do know that. Jesus always has been, is, and will forever be, for he is God. Jesus is God. Jesus was not just a good prophet. He was either a liar or a lunatic or Lord. And I believe he was Lord. Do you believe that today? So Jesus says, I was there when he fell. Now let's go to Isaiah and look at what the sin of Satan was that caused him to fall. Now in Isaiah chapter 14, Isaiah is actually talking about the king of Babylon, the wicked, evil king of Babylon, and he's actually making a pronouncement upon the king of Babylon, a prophecy, if you will, on the king of Babylon, but he kind of stops talking about the king of Babylon and goes right through him and starts talking to Satan. You say, really? Yes. You remember, let me give you another illustration of that. You remember when Jesus was talking to Peter and Peter, you remember when he, they were washing feet, and Peter said, don't wash my feet, don't wash my feet, and, I, you know, I don't want you to, he said, what did he say, get thee behind me. Was he calling Peter Satan? No, no. Here's another place in the Bible. He knew that Peter's attitude was rooted in confusion. He knew where the source of that attitude was. Here's another one. Um, he was talking to Peter on another occasion, and he, he, I just lost it. It'll come back to me. When it does, it's going to be awesome. Okay. Isaiah 14. Let's look at it. Isaiah 14. Has that ever happened to y'all? Then stop looking at me like that. Okay. <laughs> Isaiah. Heath, I think he's crazy. Isaiah 14. Oh, here it is. I just thought of it. <laughs> I'm so awesome. Um, and humble. And humble. He said, he said, who do men say that I am? And they said, uh, some say you're Elijah. Some say you're some prophet raised from the dead. He said, but who do you say that I am? And Peter said, we believe you are. The, you know, Peter usually had his foot in his mouth, but he had it on the ground this time. And he said, we believe you are the what? The what? Son of the living God. And Jesus said, upon this rock, Peter, upon Peter, I will build my church. Is that what he, because there's a whole bunch of churches, a whole system, I won't say the name of it, who believe Peter was their first leader, because Jesus said, on this rock, I will build my church. He wasn't talking about Peter. Duh. He was talking about what Peter just said. That you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, 
right through Peter. Wasn't even talking about Peter. Upon that truth, I will what? Build my church and Satan. All of hell cannot bring it down. Anybody happy about that today? You happy about that? Amen. I'm happy about that too, and I'm also happy I remembered that. So look at Isaiah 14, 12. That's what happens when you don't have it in your notes. So he's talking to this king of Babylon, and then he goes right through him and starts talking to Satan, and he says, how, how you have fallen from heaven, O star of the morning, son of the dawn. You have been cut down to the earth. You have weakened the nations. And then there are five I wills by Satan right here. Five I wills. Notice them in verse 13. But you said in your heart, this is what Satan said. This is Satan talking. This is Satan making bold, prideful claims. Look what he says. Look what Satan says. Because here's what this reveals to us. It reveals his intentions. It reveals his plans. It reveals his vision for his life. He says, I will ascend to heaven. In other words, you kick me out, but I'm coming back, baby. I'm coming back. I'm going to ascend into heaven. Second, I will. I will raise my throne. Where? That's God calling right there. <laughs> I will raise my throne where? Ab above the stars of who? And I will sit on the mount of assembly in the recesses of the north. There's deep meaning there that we can't go into this morning. I hope you'll study that. Verse 14, I will ascend where? Above the heights of the clouds. Because he's even putting himself above God. And here's his ultimate claim. Boy, this is the one that really does him in. I will make myself what? That's his goal. He wants to be God. He wants to dethrone God. That's his goal. Now, it won't happen because verse 15 says, Nevertheless, you will not go above or ascend beyond anything, but you will be thrust down to hell. That's what Sheol. Satan, you will be thrust down to hell. Good news? Isn't that good news? You say, it's, it's just kind of hard for me to celebrate that. Well, you better start celebrating it. Because if we don't thrust him down there, he's going to thrust us down there. Amen? Better him than me. That's deep theology right there. Somebody's writing that down. Better him than me. Amen? Verse 15, nevertheless, you will be thrust down to Sheol, to the recesses of the what? Same word used in Revelation. At the end of the kingdom, Satan will be judged, and we will discover that the, the sin of Satan that made him fall, we already know where he sit here, he had an ego problem. It's pride. Do you know that pride is really the foundation of every other sin? Every other, Listen, I'm not going to go on on that because I want to talk about it. I can feel myself wanting to talk about that. Just write that down somewhere and study that and think of any sin you want to think of. And I promise you, every sin you can think of traces back to pride, self-love, me getting what I want. He says, I'll be this and I'll be that. And ultimately, he wanted to be like the Most High. And that's a serious problem. And that's why he fell. Pride. If pride brought him down, I assure you it'll bring you down. Ezekiel 28. You don't have that in your notes except for the reference. That's all you have up here. And this is why 
Because if I put it up here, I'm going to want to preach on it, and we don't have time. So let me just give you some stuff from this prophecy, because it's very similar to what happened in Isaiah. Ezekiel is prophesying to the king of Tyre, who was a very, very wicked king, and all of a sudden he just went right through him and started talking about Satan. And he says in here, and don't look it up, and don't even try to find it on your phone. I mean, I just want you to hear me. In Ezekiel 28, verse 13, he says, On that day you were created. So it talks about Satan being created, not being self-existent. It supports that truth we've already preached. And then in verse 14, he says, You were the anointed cherub. What is a cherub? An angel. So you were an anointed angel. Um, God says, I placed you there. You walked in the midst of the stones of fire. Verse 15, you were blameless. This is before Satan fell. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created until unrighteousness was found in you. Until unrighteousness was found in you. Now, I know what you're going to ask me because I've already got some emails. I didn't think there was any sin in heaven. I didn't think there was any carnality in heaven. I didn't think there was any. You know what? This is one of the mysteries of the Bible. This is one of the mysteries of the Bible. We can go study it. I study, study, study. I've studied, studied, studied. There are great, great, great teachers that I trust who I've read. And it's just, it's, the Bible just doesn't spell it out. And that's why somebody wrote a song entitled, You'll Understand It Better by and by. You want me to sing that? By and by, when the morning comes, <laughs> I'm the old and all these young co. I don't know what that is. Uh, when the morning comes, all the saints of God are gathered home. And we'll understand things then we don't understand now. Y'all cool with that? You trust God? Now, if, some, if somebody finds something that the great theologians through the centuries hasn't found, send me an email. <laughs> he says in verse 16, by the abundance of your trade, you were internally filled with violence and you sinned. Therefore, I have cast you as profane from the mountain of God. In other words, he was cast out of heaven. And I have, and that is ultimately destroyed you. Verse 17, we're still in Ezekiel here. Ezekiel 28, verse 17, your heart was lifted up. There's that pride because of your beauty, you corrupted your wisdom by reason of your splendor. He's talking about the pride of Satan. He said, I cast you to the ground. I put you before kings that they may see you. And then right at the end of verse 19, he says, you will cease to be forever. That's good news right there. Satan's defeated. He's not going to be. He already is. He already is. Jesus said, talking about the death, his death on the cross, now, not later, now is the prince of this world cast out. When he died on the cross, Jesus said, when that happens, when I'm buried, when I raise from the dead, at that moment, the prince of the world is cast down. See, the enemy doesn't want you to know what he already knows, and that is that it's already over for him. Listen, 
Christians don't pray for victory. We pray from victory. Satan's already defeated. Start, start living like it. Start living like that. Number two, it doesn't only tell us that he is not self-existent. It tells us he's not sovereign. Satan is not sovereign. Now, Satan always has been, always will be subject to the power of God and the government of God. You got that? He is even now, even though God has given him permission to be the ruler of the world and the prince of the world. and all, I mean, at any time God wants to, he can put a stop to that. Satan is always subject to the power of God and the government of God. Satan has no choice but to run around in this little sphere called the earth that God has permitted him to run around in. He can't run outside of it. He can't do anything except what God allows Satan is still in open rebellion against the sovereignty of God, but he's also still confined by it. If you want to find out what's going to happen to him, read Revelation. Satan's not even to be compared to God. Let me tell you three things Satan is not. He is not omniscient. God knows all things all the time. There's nothing God doesn't know. He knows your very thoughts right now, and most of you are thinking about lunch. And God knows your very thoughts right now. Satan doesn't know. Satan doesn't have that kind of knowledge. You, you hear me? I think sometimes we think, you know, it's like God and Satan and God's like right here and Satan's like, you know, he's, right. Look, he's not even in the same category, ladies and gentlemen. Don't even put him in the same sentence. He is not omniscient. He can't see everything. He can't know everything. Number two, he's not omnipotent. Again, he is subject to the power of God. God is all-powerful. He is not just God. He is the almighty God. And Satan is not. He has might, but almighty, not even close. Satan is not omnipresent. He can go everywhere, but he's not everywhere at the same time. God is. You can't go where God isn't. You say, sometimes I feel like I can't go where Satan isn't. But you can't go where God isn't. God's everywhere. Satan can get there, but he can't, when he goes there, he can't be here anymore. You with me? He's not omnipresent. Not self-existent, not sovereign. And finally, it tells us that he is, though, he is powerful and he is subtle. Now, let me just leave you with these thoughts. He sneaks around. He never says, hey, I'm the devil. I'm here to ruin your life. Come on, let's go at it. He never says that. He's stealthy. He's quiet. He never paints the picture that is true. He paints this lovely picture, and it sucks you in to his traps. The Bible talks about him ensnaring he ensnares because he lures with the beautiful and the, and the stuff your carnal heart longs for. He uses that like bait. He can't make you sin, but he can sure put it out there. He knows what you like. He knows what you love. He puts it out there. Lovely, lovely things that will destroy you. When it's too late, we understand he's always a destroyer. Satan controls the world systems. And you're going to hear more about that, not next week, but the next week in this sermon series. 
But let me just say this about him controlling the world systems. Can I just go ahead and tell you, with very few exceptions, Satan owns the mass medias of this world. He owns television. He owns movies. You say, but I know about a good, I know, I know. But what's the, what's the ratio of a good movie to a, a movie that you can't even watch with your spouse, much less your children? He owns it. He owns Hollywood. He owns most newspapers for, for the most part. I'm not picking on school teachers here today. We got awesome, awesome, wonderful, incredible, amazing school teachers who love Jesus with all their heart. But I believe if they'll tell you honestly, they will tell you that our educational system is controlled by him. And this whole core, what's it called? Common core. Now, I don't mean to make anybody mad or get, but I'm telling you, I'm telling you, don't, I know they want you to embrace it. I know they do. But I'm telling you, evil is behind it. Evil is behind it. Satan is behind it. Inform yourself. Books. Every systemized thing in the world is really in the hands of Satan. It's just how it is right now. It's going to be different, but it's just how it is right now. The only things that are not in his hands in this world right now are things that are dedicated to God. That's why we have to dedicate the bridge and dedicate our lives to Jesus every day over and over and over. Because I'm telling you, the moment we crack the door, he will be in here like a flood and in your life like a flood. So we have to constantly be dedicating ourselves to Jesus Christ. There's no neutral ground. Anything that draws a moral conclusion is either for God or against God. There's no gray area. Satan's not self-existent. No, sir. He's not sovereign. No, sir. But he is powerful. And he is subtle. And the Satan and the Bible never underestimates that. The you know what? And I know the video was funny today and, and I, li I like those kind of things. Makes us laugh, but can I tell you, Satan's no joke, man. He is no joke. I mean, look around you at what he's doing to people. Look what's happening in the world today. Look at the ethnic cleansing and the horrible, horrible, horrible violence all over the world. But it's going to end. It's going to end. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you're going to experience a new heaven and a new earth one day. I promise you, on the authority of the Word of God, if you will trust God with your life and trust the Lord Jesus Christ with your salvation, I'm telling you, this world will be transformed and you will be a part of that transformed world. Stop running from God. Stop it. Stop trying to come up with little cute arguments you think you have because you know more than the Bible and you know more than people who walk in the light. Come on, man. Get with it here. There's one way to an eternity that you're going to flourish in and enjoy, and it is Jesus Christ. Serve him. Serve him. Come to him. Come to know him today. Stop your little cute arguments. 
Your little loopholes you think you found in the Bible. You'll stand before God one day and you'll find those loopholes aren't there. You'll find yourself lost. He'll look at you and say, depart from me. I never knew you. And then you'll be like those in the days of Noah who mocked him for building that ark. But on the day the rain began to fall and the water began to rise, they beat on the door and said, let us in. And you'll beat on the door for him to let you in. But that door will be shut. But you know what? It's open today. That door is open today. You can get on the ark. See, before... Before judgment comes, God always gives his people a way out. Are you one of his? Bow your head right there, right now. Just bow your head right there, right now. And say to him this, God, today, today I stopped running. Today I stopped running. Today I stopped mocking the Bible. Today I stopped mocking the church. Today I stopped mocking preachers. Today, God, I stopped my search for some loophole. I come to you today, Lord Jesus, and I humble myself before you. And I turn from my sin. And I turn from my way. And I I turn from myself. And I turn to you, Lord Jesus. I need you in my life. I know I can look around the world. I've got enough sense to know. I've tried to talk myself out of it. But I know, I know this thing's coming to an end. This thing's closing out. This thing on this earth is about to shut down. And I want to be ready, God. I want to be ready to meet you. I want to be ready to meet you, Lord Jesus. Take over my life today and wash my sins away. Lord Jesus, come in. I've had self on the throne of my heart. I'm I'm stepping down. I'm stepping down off that throne today. And I want you to sit on that throne, Jesus. I've been the ruler of my life. I've decided how I'm going to live my life, but not after today. I'm giving you my life because you gave me your life on the cross. But death couldn't hold you. You rose from the dead. And because of your resurrection from the dead, I have an opportunity to live forever. So no more running for me and no more stupid excuses. I'm asking you to take over my life today. Save me today. Forgive me today. I give you my life, Jesus. I surrender to you. Lord, I don't know how to walk this thing out. I'm not sure about all that, but I know the bridge will help me or some other good church. It doesn't have to be the bridge. I know these Christians will help me. They're going to come along beside me and they're going to help me and they're going to teach me. I don't know how to do it, but I know they're Christians who are going to help me do it. And from this day on, I'm going to live the rest of my life for you, Jesus.